So we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 as we continue our journey through this book. In your folder, there's a note sheet that has the passage for today on that. To get you thinking about the truth we're going to be focusing on, let me just start by asking you a couple of questions. Don't answer out loud, just think about this. What is one thing about your life right now that you wish were different? What's something that you would change if you could change? And if you're here today and you are a believer in Jesus, which I know many of you, most of you probably are, What's a change in your life that you believe would really improve your relationship with Christ and your ability to serve him effectively? So we're heading back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 for the third time this time. Uh, This is a chapter uh, from this letter that Paul the Apostle wrote to the church in Corinth. And this chapter has a lot to say about marriage, but today we're going to see that what it says there actually applies to many other things besides marriage. The Christians in Corinth had become very confused on the issue of marriage because they were being taught by some that the state of being single, being unmarried, was spiritually superior to the state of being married. And Paul responds to that in this chapter, and he says, no, that is not true. Uh, In fact, neither singleness nor marriage is spiritually superior to the other. In other words, being married or being unmarried, neither one gives you an edge with God. Because your marital status does not control your spiritual status. That's the, that's the big truth that we have seen uh, throughout this chapter. So what that means is Jesus, the Lord Jesus, wants you to know him deeply. And he wants you to trust him completely, regardless of your, your marital status. Okay, that, that is the key lesson. And in the first part of the chapter... Paul applies that principle to people who are married or have been married. And the last part of the chapter, he applies that to people who've never been married. So that's what we looked at the last couple of times. Now we're going to look at the middle of the chapter. And here, he doesn't mention marriage at all. Instead, this middle section shows us that it's not just your marital status that doesn't control or determine your spiritual status. It's your whole life situation. Whether you're married or not, that's just one piece of your life. It's a big piece, maybe, but it's one piece. But there are many other pieces, aren't there? There's your age. There's your health. Um, your, your education, 
your vocation, your job, your financial condition, your abilities, your talents, everything that makes up your life circumstances, those things don't determine your spiritual status either. In other words, let me say it a different way. Your life circumstances do not control your relationship with God. But it's easy to think that they do. It's easy to think that if you could just change something about your life, then you could live the life God wants you to live. Do you ever find yourself blaming your circumstances for your spiritual condition? I've done it many times. In fact, I call it playing the if-only game. It goes like this. You think to yourself, if only X, then things would be great. If only I had a different job. If only, if only I had better health. If only I had more money. If only I were smarter. If only I were married. If only my wife or my husband were different. If only my children were different. If they'd only get it. If only I were younger. Oh, if only I were older. If only, fill in the blank, then, then I could be the person God wants me to be. Then I could live the life God wants me to live. If that kind of thinking resembles your thinking or ever has, you know, ever does as you're living your life, I'm confident God has something to say to you in these verses. Okay, so let's look at them. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. It's on your note sheet. It'll also be on the slides. Paul says, Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, in this situation, in this way, let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches, was anyone called when he was already circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. What matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Let each remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you're able also to become free, rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he was called while a slave is Christ, uh, while he was free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, let each one remain with God in that condition in which he was called. Here's how I would sum up the point of these verses. You can live the life God wants you to live no matter what your circumstances are. You can live the life God wants you to live. You can be the person God wants you to be no matter what your circumstances are. 
Now, you might not be happy with your circumstances. You might deeply wish they were different. But the fact is, whatever your life situation, you can be the person Jesus wants you to be and live the life he wants you to live. You can know him deeply. You can serve him faithfully. Now, clarification. Let me clarify. When I'm talking here about your life circumstances, I'm not talking about what verse 19 calls keeping the commandments of God. That is issues of direct obedience or disobedience to God. So if there's something you need to do or something you need to stop doing because, of God, because God's word says so, that's not what I mean by your life circumstances. I'm talking about just the various details of your current life situation, many of which, maybe most of which, are completely outside of your control. Now, some of those details might very well be the result of some bad choices you've made in the past, but you can't change the past. The issue is right now. If you want to follow Jesus right now, if you want to live the life he wants you to live, you can do that even if your circumstances are less than ideal. And these verses show us reasons why that's true. That you can live the life God wants you to live no matter what your circumstances are. Here's the first reason. You can do that because what limits you doesn't limit God. What limits you does not limit God. Verse 17. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, or thus, or in this way, let him walk. Now walk, very often is used like it is here in Scripture. It's a metaphor for living. So this is telling us to live our lives as God called us. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it means this. If you're here and you're a believer in Jesus, okay, if you're not, I'm really glad you're here and I'm glad you're checking it out and I'm hoping that you will hear how much God loves you and how much he wants you to know him in Christ. But if you're here and you are a believer in Jesus, then at some point you began a faith relationship with Jesus. And what this means is that faith relationship began when God called you. His son came to find you, to seek you and save you when you were lost from him, separated from him because of your sin. And God saw to it that you heard the good news, the gospel about his son giving his life for you. He saw to it you heard the good news and he called your name and you responded in faith. Romans 8.28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. God calling you is how you became a believer in Jesus. It's 
It's, it's, it's how he brought you into his family. And here's the thing. Whatever your life circumstances were at that point, whatever they were, whether they were good, whether they were bad, whatever they were, your life circumstance did not hinder God from rescuing you from your sins and bringing you into his family. He didn't look at your situation and go, oh boy, that one's too tough. I can't reach that one. No. No. Your circumstances did not hinder God from calling you and rescuing you. Now, maybe you think that wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah, because you think, yeah, I was a pretty good person. It wasn't that hard for God to save me. That is not what the scriptures say. Look at Ephesians 2.4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, in sin. By, it is by grace. It's a gift that you've been saved. Think about that. That's what it's saying. Our sin made us dead to God. Think about what that means, being dead to God. It means completely unresponsive to him. Unable to love him. Unable to obey him from the heart. When God called you, God made you alive spiritually. It's just like the account we have when Jesus went to the tomb of his friend Lazarus, who'd been dead four days in the grave, and Jesus called his name and said, Lazarus, come out of there. And Lazarus did. And I'm fairly confident nobody who was standing there went up to Lazarus and congratulated him on the great thing he had done. Good job, Lazarus. Way to come out of that grave. He was dead. He was dead. It was the call of Jesus that gave him life. So it's a bigger deal than you might think. Now, maybe you do. You, you realize how dead you were to God when he called you. Maybe your life was a total train wreck. But it doesn't matter what the life situation was. That, that's the point. Whatever your situation was, God called you in that situation. He didn't wait for you to fix up your circumstances. He didn't wait for you to get your act together. As if your circumstances were some big obstacle he couldn't work in. No. And so what that means is, your current situation, whatever it is, whatever your circumstances are, they can't keep him from working in your life now. So don't have this mindset that, oh yeah, God can't really do anything in my life because I got this that I can't change. You don't need to help God out. I mean, don't have that mindset. And there's more, actually. It's not just that God called you regardless of your circumstances. Look at the first part of the verse. As the Lord has assigned to each one. Do you know what that means? That means that Jesus has ultimate control over your circumstances. 
He has ultimate control over your circumstances. Now, I know that's hard to understand. <laughs> that can be so difficult to try to put that all together. Wait a minute. How can Jesus be ultimately in control of all my circumstances? I make choices. Those choices are real. And, 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 and you just, you can, you can drive yourself crazy. And you can get very frustrated. You can get very upset that you can't understand how it all works. Or, or you can realize my brain's just not big enough to understand how this fits together. And so I can rest. I can rest in this, in knowing this. And you can too. That the one who died to give you eternal joy is intimately acquainted with all of your circumstances and he is fully able and he is fully committed to use those circumstances to bring about your eternal joy. What limits you doesn't limit God. Second reason You can live the life God wants you to live no matter your circumstances because what impresses you doesn't impress God. What impresses you doesn't impress God. Verses 18 through 20. Was anyone called when he was already circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Yeah, that's a thing. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. What matters is keeping of the commandments of God. Let each remain in that condition in which he was called. So here Paul is addressing a situation in which uh, people thought there was a certain circumstance that needed to change in order for them to live fully for Christ. Because all of the first believers were Jewish, and circumcision was a Jewish law. A big question in the early church, after Jesus came and, and then sent his followers out in the world, a big question was, okay, do non-Jews, do Gentiles need to become Jewish in order to be fully obedient Christians? They need to follow all of the Jewish laws. And the answer was no. It's a new day. God is doing a new thing. It's a new covenant. Jesus told us to make disciples of all nations. And the laws that God had given the Jews about holiness and being distinct, being set apart as his people, those laws now apply in new ways, new and different ways. So circumcision is no longer the sign that a man belongs to the one true God. Okay, so how does that apply to us? Since I doubt that any guy in here thinks that getting circumcised is the way to improve his relationship with God, make himself more acceptable to God. Well, the bigger issue is one of spiritual heritage. Whether you have the right background, whether you belong to the right group, whether you have the right spiritual resume. Do you ever feel like your spiritual resume is not impressive enough to be useful to God? 
You know, maybe you weren't raised in a Christian home, you didn't go to Sunday school, you didn't hear all the Bible stories and learn all those things, and so you're just like, hey, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm just not that useful to God. My resume is just too, too brief. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you did grow up in a Christian home, so you feel like your spiritual resume is kind of lame. Because God, you know, Jesus didn't save you from a life of crime. You weren't a mobster. You weren't addicted to whatever. And so how can, how can you possibly win other people to Christ with such a boring background? How can you have any influence in this culture if you're not a hip millennial with tattoos? The answer is in verse 19. Instead of focusing on what doesn't matter, focus on what does matter. What is it? Keeping the commandments of God. Which are what? Exactly. The Bible's a big book. Well, Jesus summed them up for us in Matthew 22, 37. Look at it. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Look at this. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God. Love people as he defines love. That's what counts. That's what counts. So it's not about how impressive your background is, how impressive your resume. In fact, you know what? Paul made the point earlier in this book, and if you were with us then, you'll remember this. God intentionally uses unimpressive people most of the time to accomplish his purposes so that people put their faith in him and not in us. It's good to be boring. Chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says, I came to you, Corinthians, in weakness, with great fear and trembling. He was not impressive. My message, my preaching, were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. The things that impress us don't impress God. So don't worry about being impressive enough. Don't feel like you've got to change something that you can't change to be more impressive, to be useful. To live the life God wants you to live. And the third reason is what worries you doesn't worry God. What worries you doesn't worry God. Verse 21. Were you called? Did you become a believer in Jesus while a slave, do not worry about it. But if you're able also to become free, rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, let each one remain with God in that condition in which he was called. So now the issue isn't, you know, spiritual heritage, religious status, 
Now the issue is social status. Where are you on the social ladder? Are you up nice and high so you can look down on other people? Or are you way down low so that other people look down on you? Well, nobody, nobody was lower on the social ladder than a slave in the Roman Empire. And many of the first Christians were slaves. Now, you would think, you would think if anyone had an excuse for feeling like, oh man, this has got to change. This has got to change for me to be able to live for the Lord, to live the life he wants me to live. He's a slave. His time is not his own. His agenda is not his own. He doesn't get to set his agenda. He can't go wherever he wants. He can't do whatever he wants. Can you imagine somebody like that feeling like a helpless victim of circumstance? And yet verse 21 says, don't worry about it. Or literally, don't let it trouble you. Yes, if you can become free, by all means do it. But don't think that that has to happen and that you have to be free in this world for God to do a great work in you and through you. Christ has set you free in the way that matters most. He has set you free from sin. He has set you free from death. He has set you free to live for him in whatever situation you're in. So, slave or free, anyone who belongs to Jesus has the highest status you could possibly have. Citizen of heaven. Child of God. Servant of the Lord. Okay, so how does this apply to us who aren't slaves? And kids, you're not slaves, no matter how hard your parents work you. <clears throat> okay, there's the obvious, one of the obvious points is, well, your social status doesn't control your spiritual status. So it doesn't matter where you are on the social ladder, you can live for Jesus wherever you are. That's an obvious application. But I see something else here. This also speaks to the fears a couple of fears that we can have about freedom and serving the Lord. One is the fear that you lack the freedom you need to live for Christ because of your situation. In other words, I cannot live, I cannot live the life Jesus wants me to live because I'm stuck in this miserable situation. I'm stuck in this miserable job. I'm stuck in this miserable home. I'm stuck in this miserable town. Something else, you know, whatever it is. Something's holding you back, something you can't change. And you, you don't have the freedom you need to live for Christ. It's not true. Don't you think that if God could accomplish his good purposes in the life of a slave that he can do it in your situation? There's another fear, though, about freedom, and that's this one, and this may be more relevant. This is the fear 
that you'll lose freedom if you follow Jesus fully. And so you think, I am reluctant to follow Jesus fully because I might miss out on something good. Because to follow Christ is to be his slave. It says that right here. Here's the thing. If you don't follow him, you're not choosing no master. You're just choosing a different master. Probably you. Or someone else that you're choosing to let control your decisions in life. And whoever that is, if it's not Jesus, that master of yours, if it's you, whoever it is, they don't know what's best for you. They're not capable of ruling your life. And even if they did know what was best for you, they don't have the power to bring it about. Verse 23 says, you were bought with a price. Okay, that's talking about Jesus on the cross giving his life for you. Why did he do that? What was his aim in buying you? To buy your freedom from sin and death? Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died, Christ bought your freedom to demonstrate God's love for you. Look at Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, let that sink in, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? This is so powerful. See, you know, when we sit there and we think, ah, I don't know, I'm just not convinced God's committed to my best. I'm not convinced he's committed to my joy. I'm not convinced. He didn't spare his own son to give you eternal joy. You think he's going to hold out on something else? God did the hardest thing already. Everything else is nothing. Graciously give us all things. What does that mean? Everything that's necessary for your eternal joy is going to be yours in Christ. How can you know that? Look at the price he paid for you. Don't let yourself be a slave to others. Don't let someone else's opinion of you rule your life. Sometimes we can do this thing where we, we, we measure how much God loves us by what's happening to us. By our circumstances. And if our circumstances are good, all right, God loves me. And if my circumstances are bad, uh, he doesn't love me so much. I'm not sure he even likes me. That is so not true. You know what our circumstances tell us about how much God loves us? Nothing. Our circumstances teach us nothing about how much God loves us. What teaches us about how much God loves us? The cross. You want to know how much God loves you? Look at the cross. And that will never change. And what that means is, is if you trust him, you put your trust in him, 
one day you will be able to look back and you will be able to understand how God used all of your circumstances for your ultimate joy. But you probably won't understand that now. Look at the cross and you can know that you can trust him to work in whatever your situation is to accomplish his good for you. You can live the life he wants you to live right now if you'll put your trust in him. Let's pray. So I'm going to do what I've done last several weeks and just give you a quiet moment for you to do business with God. As you think about your life situation, are you kind of trapped in this thinking that something that you can't change needs to change in order for you to live the life God wants you to live? This, these verses would set you free from that. Don't believe that lie. Christ knows right where you are. He knows right where your situation is, and he wants to work in your situation to bring about his purpose. Now, if there's a matter of obedience he wants you to deal with, then deal with it. But if there's something you can't change, that doesn't hinder him. So I'll just give you a quiet moment, and if you have never yet said yes to Jesus, Put your trust in the one who came and died and rose again to give you life and freedom and eternal joy. You can begin that relationship today. If you hear him calling, say yes. So I'll give you a quiet moment to pray and then I'll pray in just a minute. Father, we're prone to look at the wrong things and to value the wrong things and to try to understand who you are from our circumstances and that is not where we should be looking. Let us look to you. Let us look to what you have done and what you have said and trust you that by your spirit because of what your son has done to set us free you have a good work to do in us and through us May we trust you to do that, no matter what else is going on. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.